This is Pod TST. I am Kenneth Arthur, and today I wanted to spend a little bit of time on a podcast talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, this is not, I repeat, not the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, if you only want to hear things or read things about the Rams, surely TurfShowTimes.com has... Well, I'm going to say plenty of that. I would say at least 95% is about the LA Rams directly. But let's be honest, the San Francisco 49ers and all three other teams in the NFC West are indirectly going to, and directly, affect the LA Rams and their success. If the only thing really that fans care about, which proves to more often than not be the case, is winning a Super Bowl, then... Winning a Super Bowl simply is not possible if there are other teams in your division that are so good that you don't make the playoffs. And I think right now the NFC West has quite an argument for being the toughest division in the NFL. Quite a turnaround from where they were in the 2000s and the beginning of the 2010s, really, when you're looking at a division that was in 2010 a joke. Seven and nine, the Seahawks won the division in 2010 in that week 17 game against the St. Louis Rams. And, you know, that was how bad things were. The Seahawks were arguably one of the worst three or four teams in the NFL in 2010. This is by DVOA. This is not hyperbole necessarily. Just because they made the playoffs, the Seahawks were terrible in 2010. And then a couple years, and then the next year, the 49ers in 2011, they become a pretty good team. Surprisingly, really quick turnaround uh, in the minds of many under first-year head coach Jim Harbaugh. And in the write-up of which I've included this podcast, there's a, a long lead-in um, that is just about the 49ers of that time, 2011 to 2012. 13 when they were one of the NFL's best teams and then 2014 2015 when they became average to then really bad and uh, but in spite of that you know right now you had that that time with the Seahawks and the 49ers uh, when they were both competing for the Super Bowl and went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl you know 2012 2012, uh, uh, the 49ers go to the Super Bowl. 2013, the Seahawks go to the Super Bowl. 2014, the Seahawks go to the Super Bowl. Um, in 2015, you know, the Arizona Cardinals start to become uh, a formidable opponent with Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer. So then that's a third team that gets added to the mix. And then when that sort of when Carson Palmer retires, that sort of starts to fade away. Uh, and the Seahawks have remained steady. The 49ers fell away uh then the cardinals fell away and then the rams stepped up with sean McVay, another head coaching hire that uh, basically sparked you know the changes necessary even when there was a talented roster in place in some cases obviously McVay added quite a few and Les need added quite a few in 2017 uh andrew whitworth john sullivan uh, Sammy Watkins, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. I mean, lots of changes that year. Then also, you know, Jared Goff going into his second year, but a lot of coaching changes affecting that. And within that, a lot of people would point to Kyle Shanahan. You know, the rant. So we had 2012 49ers, 2013 Seahawks, 2014 Seahawks, 
2015, no, uh, you know, no NFC West team went deep in the playoffs. 2016, obviously the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. 2017, the Rams go 11 and five. The Seahawks uh, do not make the playoffs in 2017, um, and the Rams go 11 and five. And then 2018. Uh, the 49ers and the Cardinals, two of the worst teams, the two worst teams in the NFL by record draft order. Cardinals draft Kyler Murray, 49ers draft Nick Bosa, and then we get to 2019. 2019, of course, now you've got, again, back-to-back -back NFC West teams making the Super Bowl this time. The Rams made it in 2018. 2019, the 49ers made it. And the Arizona Cardinals uh, did a little bit better with Kyler Murray and their own new head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, but picked eighth this year, drafting Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker. And I'll talk about the Cardinals when it's time to talk about the Cardinals. But the San Francisco 49ers, no, uh, we're not set to have an early draft pick. They ended up with one kind of in the first, you know, 13 because of a trade, but uh, 49ers now, they're a formidable opponent. And the Seahawks went to the playoffs last year at 11-5, and five, and the Rams went 9-7. and seven. So if uh, you're sitting there and you're starting to wonder how do the Rams get up from third to second or first, you know, third, you can get the, the playoffs. Technically now fourth, you can get into the playoffs because of the extra wild card and seven teams from each conference going to the playoffs. But really for the Rams, the big idea here is well, obviously, they want to win. They want to win the division. They want to be in first in the division, and only one team in the NFC uh, in either conference will be getting a bye week. So this is a huge difference because the bye week has proven to be um, so vital to getting to the Super Bowl. If you get to the bye week, um, if you don't get to the bye week, it is highly improbable that you will make the Super Bowl. And I know that people will, for some reason, dispute that because it just sounds wrong to you, right? Couldn't possibly be correct to just think like, yeah, but if you're you're saying that only two out of six teams in each conference really have a shot at the Super Bowl, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. In the last decade, at least, that's been the case. I don't have the number off the top of my head right now because I wrote about it a few months ago. But you know, it's something like two or three teams in the last decade made the Super Bowl. It feels like uh, just without getting that bye week. Obviously, it happens, and it can happen again. But that bye week, you're talking about skipping a game, which in the NFL, that bye week, skipping a game, it's huge. We see every year Giants beat the Patriots, Giants beat the 15-1 Packers, all that kind of stuff. I don't. It doesn't matter how good you are and who your opponent is in the NFL. You can lose. And in the playoffs, that's all that has to happen one time. So that bye week means not only are you skipping a game, but then when you return, you're at home. And if you're at home... You know, you got uh, the home field, you got, it's right there, you're not traveling. We know how much of an advantage it is to be at home, and especially to be at home in the playoffs, so those teams, they skip the game, and then they are at home against a team that just played, and you had two weeks off. That advantage carries into usually a win in the divisional round, not always. Last year's Baltimore Ravens losing to the Tennessee Titans. This is the NFL. And then the next week, you know, Whoever had that one seed, you're at home again. That's pretty good. Um, so as we've seen now, that's going to be reduced from two teams getting a bye week to one team. 
Um, and we also know that because of the coronavirus, there won't be as many people in the stands. So who knows what home field advantage will mean? Will teams be traveling as much? What's going to happen? We don't know all that kind of stuff. So I have to just sort of operate from a place of normalcy. And within that place of normalcy, just talking about like what the Rams want to do is be first, right? So they want to be first and that's going to be difficult in 2020 because the San Francisco 49ers, in my estimation, they do look like uh, one of the best teams in the NFL, one of the top two or three teams in the NFL. This is a very solid team, which you would expect given that they just went to the Super Bowl and they had a really strong defense and they they did it with some young players. Now, look, I wrote about the 2011 to 2014 uh, 49ers. So if you read that, you already know all this. And I'm not going to repeat it, but really examine where the 49ers were in 2014 before the season started. They had almost the exact same roster as the one that had been to the last three NFC championship games that had gone to the Super Bowl two years earlier and that had fallen 20-some yards shy of scoring a touchdown against the Seahawks in the final minute of the NFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl. Again, that's how solid the 49ers appeared to be to almost everybody in 2014. The only exception maybe being that if you didn't believe in Colin Kaepernick, and if that was you, you I, I don't want to say you won a prize, but you were definitely right. The 49ers fell apart. There was no dynasty. There was no string of success. After one down season, Jim Harbaugh was fired. Colin Kaepernick was on the precipice of his final season and getting benched for Blaine Gabbard. Uh... Patrick Willis retired. Chris Borland retired. You know, they lost their center, which I cannot underemphasize. Like, they uh, actually, I cannot overemphasize. I can underemphasize. All I can do is underemphasize. Uh, but they lost their center, just sort of like the Rams lost John Sullivan, sort of like, uh, you know, the Seahawks back in 2014, 2015. They traded Max Unger for Jimmy Graham. And they weren't nearly as strong. I'm not saying that it's just because of the center. I'm just saying they weren't nearly as strong um, in the subsequent years. Centers, everybody, just give them a chance. And so they, the 49ers, they lost Michael Crabtree that year. They traded Jim Vernon Davis that year. They lost Frank Gore that year. All these things happened like that. One 8-8 eight eight season. Gone. And so... That's how quickly and how vulnerable things can be. But let's like actually take a look because just because the 49ers were the 49ers then and the 49ers the 49ers now doesn't mean that the 49ers are the 49ers. Are, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the team you want to compare them to. But how good are the 49ers today and how solidly set up are they for the next two to three years? And how likely is it that we think that the 49ers can be uh, a Super Bowl champion contender let's say, in four years. I will preface that by saying that I don't believe in rebuilding in the NFL. I don't think it really exists. I think you can pretend to do it. I think you can pretend to say we are doing it. I think you can pretend that, like, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were, quote-unquote, rebuilding over the last, over the two years prior to getting to the Super Bowl uh, just because they had a terrible record. I don't think that there's ever a 
reason in the NFL to want a terrible record. There's every time someone's like, no, 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 like, yo, you get mad, you get your quarterback. That that makes you so they uh, strong franchise quarterback and uh yeah so that's that's how it works and uh it's like okay so let's look at all of the super bowl champions uh let me just quickly let's see kansas city chiefs did they need a crappy terrible season to get patrick mahomes no they did not new england patriots did they need a crappy terrible season to get tom brady uh no they did not philadelphia eagles did they need a crappy terrible season to get Nick Foles. No, they did not. Do they need one to get Carson Wentz? No, they did not. Carson Wentz was the second overall pick. They traded up two times to get there to draft him. Uh, the, did the Denver Broncos need a terrible season to get Peyton Manning or to build up their defense? Nope. I mean, they got Von Miller. So uh, if you think that the... Broncos could not have won the Super Bowl in 2015 or gotten there in 2013 if they hadn't been terrible enough to draft Von Miller, then sure, then go for that. Uh, the Seahawks, did they need to be terrible to get Russell Wilson? Nope. Did the Baltimore Ravens need to be terrible to get you know Joe Flacco and to go 10-6 and six and make the Super Bowl and surprisingly beat the 49ers in 2012? Nope. Did the Giants need to be terrible to get Eli Manning? I don't know. Do you think Eli Manning is the key? Is that what you think? I mean, we know that he was the first overall pick. They were the fourth, right? So they traded up for Eli Manning. And they had a great pass rush. There was plenty of you know things going on there. Uh, did the Green Bay Packers need to be terrible to get Aaron Rodgers? Nope. Did the New Orleans Saints need to be terrible to get Drew Brees? Nope. Did the Pittsburgh Steelers need to be terrible to get Ben Roethlisberger? 11th overall pick? Not really. Nope. Steelers haven't drafted in the top 10 or top 5 since like the 70s. So where does the narrative come? They've won two Super Bowls or you know in that in the last uh, 15 years. Uh, but they haven't and they're constantly in the the conversation. Didn't need it. So everyone kind of just builds this narrative around Peyton Manning and says Oh, well, the Colts were terrible. They drafted Manning. They went 3-13 and in his first year, and then it was good all the time. The only one won Super Bowl, but, yeah, then it was good all the time. Um, no. And then they could tank. They get Andrew Luck. Nope, that didn't help either. So I don't think you ever want to tank. I don't think you ever want to rebuild. It does, That's the excitement. That's like excitement within fans saying, um, Oh, it's cool to like be the worst and then become the best. We all like an underdog story. It's so cool to be the worst and then be the best. So I think what you need to do is be the worst before you can be the best. That's how movie arcs work, right? And I'm living in a movie. My whole life is a movie. I'm the director and the star and the producer and the writer. This is all my movie, right? So what I want is to see the worst. You get the first overall pick, which historically is not proven to be that beneficial and yet people just believe it and if you ask them to prove it with empirical evidence it doesn't really happen um but anyway so you get the first overall pick and then this is it i mean say like oh well what about the 49ers they just they would you're you're wrong the 49ers they just got nick bosa with the second overall pick and look at their defense everything changed i mean if that's what you want to believe if that's what you want to believe, that the Seahawks went 13-3, and 
because of Nick Bosa that they went from four and twelve to thirteen and three. So they won nine extra games because of Nick Bosa. Then you can that's fine. I can't take that belief from anybody. We could talk about that they went from Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard to Jimmy Garoppolo. We could talk about that as a change because Garoppolo missed, if you recall, all but two starts basically in twenty eighteen. I mean, they changed quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, and this was a team that, you know, had so many other good players on defense besides Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, uh, Richard Sherman. You know, um, Jimmy Ward was not, uh, he, he missed half of 2018, you know. So lots of different things changes. That's, you know, defense, offense. Um, so then you do add Nick Bosa, and he's, you know, solid. Nine sacks, 25 QB hits as a rookie. Certainly aided by the fact that he does play with talented players. Uh, Fred Warner looking like one of the top linebackers in the NFL immediately. He's 23 years old. Dre Greenlaw, a surprising uh, rookie, came in and uh, played surprisingly well last season. Second on the team in tackles, 92 tackles. Jimmy Ward plays not a full season, but 13 games. Richard Sherman has, you know, a bit of a bounce back year. DeForest Buckner has a really solid year, and he's the one that gets traded to the Colts for the 13th overall pick, which they use on another defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw. Armstead has a breakout season with 10 sacks, and they re-signed him to an extension, and I don't know, is that going to work out? He'll be 27. Um, and that's sort of like the core right of what the 49ers had last season plus they traded for d ford um and that cost them quite a bit in draft compensation and then they gave him an extension and he had six and a half sacks in 11 games last season so that was um just an example of how many things changed for the 49ers besides nick bosa just to say like i don't believe that you like rebuild i think that the 49ers were bad for a couple of years. I don't think Kyle Shanahan wanted to be that bad. Um, but when Jimmy Garoppolo went down, you're just kind of like, well, let's see if Nick Mullins can help us win games. Oh, you know, Oh, he can't. Okay. Well, let's just see what we can do. Cause I, you know, there's not, there was no firings coming on. Right. So CJB third went Oh, and five Mullins went three and five. Um, and I, I don't necessarily give, them credit for quote unquote rebuilding and planning this all when like CJ Bathard was a third round pick. I mean, I'm not saying a third round pick is like your franchise quarterback, but I don't think that John Lynch and uh, Kyle Shannon identified a quarterback, you know, a six two, 215 pound quarterback uh, who was a two-year starter at Iowa that they were like, yeah, I think this guy's steady. I mean, the 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 talk of C.J. Beathard when he was drafted, I forget who it was. Uh, maybe it was Colin Coward or someone like that. I just remember someone being like, oh, this is like, this guy could start from day one. He's not going to be, he doesn't have that high ceiling, but he could start from day one. Couldn't start from day 30,000. Couldn't start. <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to give them credit for drafting a quarterback who, you know, lost nine of the 10 games that he started. That's not going to do it. But what matters is that the 49ers did eventually get to a roster 
that last season was 13 and three in record, second in points scored, eighth in points allowed. Uh, you know, solid third in net yards per pass attempt on offense, first in net yards per pass attempt on defense. And this was one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL the season prior with Richard Sherman, with uh, Jaquiski Tart, um, without Jimmy Ward for half the season, and not much of a pass rush and all that. Second in rushing yards, ninth in yards per carry, run defense 23rd uh, in yards per carry. But I want to do just sort of talk about Okay, well, what should we look forward to? At least, what should we expect with the the 49ers this upcoming season? And like I said, I think that they would, on paper, have uh, one of the most talented teams in the NFC. Uh, a good bet if you were making bets. I don't believe in predictions, but if you were like, okay, well, what are you leaning towards? I would lean towards the 49ers getting to 12 and four. You know. It's a lot of wins, but I could see it like, okay, yeah, 11, 12 wins. Why? Uh, offensive line. They traded for Trent Williams after Joe Staley retired, and Trent Williams didn't play last season. One of the best left tackles in the NFL. If he feels confident in his health, I guess, at this point, then clearly, I mean, I would feel confident that he can play left tackle. He's not old um, for a player of his caliber and his position, so... They should be set at left tackle, and they have the center, Weston Richburg, who proved to be a very integral part of their improvement from the previous, you know, uh, regime. And like how that, like I said, after they had lost Jonathan Goodwin, um, they were looking for a center. They got Weston Richburg from the Giants. Uh, and right tackle, Mike McGlinchey, was a top 10 pick uh, in two, 2018, only two years ago. He's playing right tackle. Uh, and I think that they're fine with that. And I think that it's interesting also just to see how many teams are spending on those right tackles. But uh, it's becoming a more and more important position to a lot of teams, obviously. So they've got Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, Weston Richburg. These are their strengths, I think, right off the bat. But they also, uh, at guard, Lakin Tomlinson and Tom Compton could be starting. Uh, and overall, their offensive line should be a strength if Trent Williams is healthy you would think, but we don't know that we haven't seen him in a year. Uh, and so also I would just say in terms of like, like I said, this is a good time to think about the long-term outlook. Well, long-term outlook on Trent Williams for me is that, uh, while he's not old, he is 32. Um, and while he is not, uh, too expensive for them at the moment, um, Trent Williams of course, and he had a dispute. Trent Williams is only a, under contract through next season. Uh, and I don't know that they're going to have the ability to re-sign him. So the long-term outlook on the offensive line, I would think, has to include um, either finding that money for Trent Williams, moving Michael Glinchy from the right side to the left side if they feel confident with his development, or uh, drafting. Uh, and Or, like, you know, obviously finding the next Trent Williams and moving it around. But as of now... I would say that the 49ers offensive line has, um, I don't want to say a bleak, but I would say that the 49ers offensive line doesn't have a future uh, past next season other than Mike McGlinchey. So it's really just going off of Mike McGlinchey and how confident they are 
um, in the season he had. He had he missed four games last year, and if they're confident with how Mike McGlinchey is developing, which would be perfectly reasonable as a top ten pick who's only had two years in the league, then they can move him over to left side. What are they going to do on the right side? Uh, is another question. And um, yeah, let me just look at the. Uh, future outlooks here for uh, the contracts as it seems as though they do have the center Richburg signed through 2024. So they shouldn't have an issue at center right now. And uh, Tomlinson signed through 2021. Um, so they're really, their big thing is, are they looking for an upgraded guard? And what is their plan at left tackle beyond next season? But the offensive line could change, you know, as they always do, but this one could definitely change a lot in a year. At receiver this year, uh, last year it was, it seemed to be a deficiency. They traded for Emmanuel Sanders midseason. He's gone now. I believe he's with the New Orleans Saints. Um, but he did have a good season out of rookie Debo Samuel, which would be good news for the 49ers. Uh, Samuel had 57 catches for 802 yards. Only three touchdowns, but he's a rookie. And in the playoffs, he had 10 catches for 127 yards. So Debo Samuel is, uh, you know, it's exciting. Like, oh, yeah, let's see what happens there with Debo Samuel. But he broke his foot a month ago. And Debo Samuel does not, uh, you know, he will definitely miss some games this year. And, I mean, we'll see. He's played 15 games. He's played 18 if you include the playoffs. He's had uh, performances that would be very exciting for 49ers coaches and fans, and he's had performances that were like, you don't know. I mean, he, that, we just don't know that much about Debo Samuel, um, and I think that that alone should sort of just like, when you look at the bigger picture, the 49ers could have receiver problems, big receiver problems. Debo Samuel, so like if it's week one, who are the 49ers, assuming they don't add anybody, if it's week one, 2020, who are the 49ers starting at receiver? Not Debo Samuel. And so then at that point, the options would be Brandon Ayuk, who was their first round pick this year, could be a very exciting player, a rookie. And a rookie who has not been in the building, so it's just there's, there's no telling. Kendrick Bourne, Jalen Hurd, Richie James, Dante Pettis, Chris Thompson, Travis Benjamin, Trent Taylor, Sean Poindexter, Jawan Jennings, and Chris Finke is everyone I see listed as a receiver on the roster. So if I guess if I had to make it a prediction of their week one starting receivers, it would be like Trent Taylor, <laughs> and if he's healthy, um, Dante Pettis, Travis Benjamin, a veteran, and Brandon Ayuk, maybe, Jalen Hurd. It's not looking great. So I would say that the 49ers do have a potential problem at receiver just in the beginning of the season. However, by the end of the season, maybe they look at Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, and they're just like, oh, yeah, we got it. We got our future starters right here. Nothing wrong with believing that. Um, but in the beginning of the season, I do think it looks like uh, it's going to be pretty rough. Long-term outlook just sort of depends on how Samuel, Ayuk, Hurd, and maybe Dante Pettis and Trent Taylor uh, develop. And that'll just be what we find out. But in terms of feeling like, oh, this is something that I have confidence in if I'm a San Francisco uh, fan or uh, uh, John Lynch or whatever, do I have confidence in the receiver group? No, I would not. Offensive line, I would have more confidence in. 
because of McGlinchey, Richburg, and Williams. Uh, receivers, I would say no. Tight end, I would say hell yes. <laughs> if anything happened to George Kittle, if George Kittle misses any games, their tight end situation is effed. I don't know what they're supposed to do at that point. Uh, their backup tight ends right now, Ross Dwelly, Daniel Helm, Charlie Werner, and Chase Harrell, all former undrafted free agents. Don't know any of them personally or uh, non-personally. And I, I guess I also, people would want to know, like, what's George Kittle's touchdown ceiling? Uh, as one of the elite tight ends in the NFL, probably the best tight end in the NFL over the last two seasons, George Kittle has caught... Um, 173 passes for 2,430 yards over the last two seasons combined, but only five touchdowns in each season respectively. So I would say, is he going to be a 14-touchdown guy? Is he going to be a five-touchdown guy? Uh, that's maybe the one question that people are going to ask in terms of George Kittle's ability to punch in the the, the ball uh, for the team. Not only just because, like, I mean, you just say like, well, you know, what's his opportunities? What's this? What's that? Maybe he's putting them in position a lot for other touchdowns. That's great. But as I've already said, this is a team that does not have a strength at receiver. Who's going to be the touchdown catcher at receiver? If Debo Samuel's out, especially. But he only had three touchdowns last season. Didn't have any in the playoffs. Uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Hurd. I mean, what's the combined touchdown? George Kittle and Debo Samuel... Obviously, they have a combined eight touchdowns last season. Obviously, Brandon Ayuk has no career touchdowns, so he had none. Uh, they're not bringing back very many touchdown catches. Obviously, they don't throw that many times. Uh, Kendrick Bourne and George Kittle led the team with five each last season. They're not bringing back a whole lot of touchdowns. Who is catching the touchdowns, you know? Jimmy Garoppolo threw 27 touchdowns, but he spread that baby around. One, two, three, four, five, six players caught one. Three more caught two. Two caught three and two caught five. Not a single, like, singular threat, which is fine, too. You're Kyle Shanahan, that's what Kyle Shanahan does. He likes to spread it around. Doesn't need a singular touchdown threat. But do they have anybody? I mean, what is going to be the situation there when it is that, hey, we need a touchdown right now because as we saw in the Super Bowl, 20 points scored. Only a couple times all season long did they score fewer than 20 points. Nine against Washington, 17 against Baltimore, and they scored 20 against the Rams in week six. So this is one of the worst offensive games of the entire season. Well, who's their threat? Who's their playmaker? Is it George Kittle? Or is he just an elite blocker and a really good pass catcher and not a touchdown threat? So that's kind of the questions I would have for them uh, in that situation. But also running back. They bring back Raheem Mostert, who threatened, uh, yeah, not making enough money. They figured out something with his contract. He'll be back. Tevin Coleman will be back. Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, will be back. Jarek McKinnon might make his 49ers debut after two years of uh, sitting on IR from the big contract that he had signed, and Jeff Wilson. You know, these are the big names. Again, they don't have, you know, the Todd Gurley. They don't have the Ezekiel Elliott, the Christian McCaffrey, the Saquon Barkley, the Alvin Kamara, the Chris Carson, uh, the Kenyon Drake. As far as we know, Raheem Mostert did lead the NFL in yards per carry, but not a lot of people respecting him when he said he wanted more money, right? 
So they don't have that uh, Frank Gore even type running back back there. Maybe that's fine. Again, Kyle Shannon wants to spread it around. Uh, last season, they were led in rushing yards by Mostert. 772 yards, a touchdown, 5.6 yards per carry. They traded Matt Breida to the Dolphins. He was second in yards, 5.1 yards per carry. Tevin Coleman was third in yards, four yards per carry. Uh, and so, like, that's basically the 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 two main guys they would go with is Mostert and Coleman. That could be enough, of course. Um, but then again, everything is going to hinge a lot on Jimmy Garoppolo. Lots of doubt around Jimmy Garoppolo. He completed almost 70% of his passes, 69.1% of his passes last season, 27 touchdowns. First time he started more than five games in a season. So keep that in mind. Uh, passer rating of 102 and all this and all that. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo does not inspire a ton of faith in a lot of from a lot of people. The 49ers did look into Tom Brady in the offseason. Uh, they will be looking for a different quarterback, just as they did with Colin Kaepernick after, you know, it became apparent. Right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is coming off of his Colin Kaepernick 2013 season, kind of. In 2014, they gave Kaepernick the whole year, but they went 8-8. Eight and eight. And the next year, Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh was fired. They brought in Jim Tomsula or they already had Jim Thompson, but they upgraded him to a head coach. I don't know if that's an upgrade in San Francisco at the time. Uh, but then uh, and then they split that season between Garoppolo and Gabbert. Garoppolo's close to the bench, but they also don't have anything. Nick Mullins is the backup. CJ Beathard is the backup. Same situation as two years ago. What happened two years ago? They went 4-12. and Well, how are they going to avoid 4-12 and this year? Oh, yeah, they got a great... They seem to have a really good team. What happens when you add in one injury on offense? What does this team look like right now as they are? Pretty good. What does the offense look like right now if you just take away Trent Williams? Hmm. No Debo Samuel? That's already happening. Hmm. No George Kittle? Hmm. No Raheem Mostert? Hmm. You know, all I can say is there's there's not that many, uh, there's not that much standing in between them and, hmm. Defensively is where everybody sees uh, the 49ers' strengths, obviously, even though, and again, this is why you don't hire head coaches based on their reputations as prowess uh, you know, for offensive scoring prowess or defensive ability as coordinators. Kyle Shannon, offensive genius. Doesn't real, no. Uh, but here's his thing. San Francisco, great defense. Second in DVOA last year. Second against the pass behind the Patriots. Okay. Pass defense is going to be their strength. How does that look? How does that look? Uh, and by the way, next season's free agents on offense include Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, Tevin Coleman, Tom Compton, uh, Travis Benjamin, uh, CJ Beathard, Nick Mullins. Uh, so it's, hey, time to get your new backup quarterback. Um, and there's going to be. <clears throat> Plenty there uh, with with those players, but that's not all. George Kittle has not signed a contract extension yet. George Kittle is going to be a free agent in 2021. I'm sure that he is the top priority for a franchise tag, um, but that is a real situation. They have George Kittle not under contract for 2021. Defensively, this team uh, is seems pretty stacked you know defensive line nick bosa one of the great young uh players at any position in the nfl 
could be as good as Joey Bosa. It could be as good as J.J. Watt. I mean, we'll see. Nick Bosa is on one side of that defensive line. Eric Armstead on the other side came out of relatively nowhere, not obscurity as a former first round pick, but did not have good first four years. They resign him. I mean, it's fine, but then they resign him. D Ford coming back, looking to be healthier and uh, provide more of a pass rush than he did last season. Only six QB hits, uh, not really putting any pressure on the opposing QB when he was playing. And however, Kyle Shanahan and defensive coordinator Robert Sallow wanted to play him. Uh, and then interior, you know, these got Solomon Thomas, another not just a first for, former first overall pick, but a former third overall pick. Uh, excuse me, first round pick, but a former third overall pick. And Javen Kinlaw, the thirteenth overall pick. Um, it's a very talented, you know, four first round picks that San Francisco made on their own: Armstead, Thomas, Kinlaw, Bosa, and D. Ford was a fifth round, a first round pick of the Chiefs. So five first round picks overall on that defensive line. Um, and that would hard to argue again. You know, so Armstead is not going to be a free agent. Bose is not going to be a free agent. Kinlaw is not going to be a free agent. Ford's not going to be a free agent. They should keep their pass rush together um, or the defensive line, you know, so that's something to build off of, but they also want to know like, come on, Eric, are you going to, Eric, tell me you didn't do it for the uh, paycheck, please. <laughs> that would I be saying to Eric Armstead? Did you do it for the paycheck, bro? Because a year earlier, Armstead did play in all 16 games and in a in a close amount of the same snaps. He had three sacks, 12 QB hits. Obviously, they like what's going on with Armstead. Let's see what happens this season with him. Uh, and I have little negative, I would think, to say about the uh, defensive line. We don't know anything about Javon Kinlaw. Solomon Thomas is not that great of a player. Most of this seems to be hinging around, you know, just like, hey, Nick Bosa feels, everyone feels confident in him. We'll see about the rest. Linebackers, pretty good. Fred Warner, one of the top 100 players, according to his uh, colleagues there, his peers in the league, only going into his third year, the inside linebackers being getting that sort of Patrick Willis-like reputation, at least in terms of being a, one of the, a, you know, a great young linebacker. So there's him. Uh, there's Dre Greenlaw, who you know has to see what we'll see what happens in his second year. And there's Quan Alexander, uh, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, who um, has had some quality games in his career, and also uh, has missed eight games last year, ten games the year before, four games the year before that. So the last three seasons uh, that equals like 22 games missed in the last three seasons uh, for Quan Alexander. So not a lot to necessarily rely on there with Alexander. Um, and they don't have a lot of depth either. Mm, I can't, I don't even know most of these players, undrafted free agents and all this and that. Cornerback Richard Sherman, you know, he's getting up there in age. We'll see how effective he is this year. Kwan Williams, Akella Witherspoon, uh, Jason Verrett still hanging around so many years after, uh, you know, the rest of us have been, you know, the injuries piled up and he couldn't quite get there. Sherman uh, is going to be a free agent after this season. So that's another guy that they do not have under contract next year. Um and again, the 49ers defensive line is replacing and getting rid of, you know, trying to figure out a replacement for DeForest Buckner, who was so solid for them 
uh, over his career, but last year, 14 QB hits, seven and a half sacks from the inside. Lots of stuff there with uh, uh, DeForest Buckner. They're looking at Warner and Greenlaw, really, hopefully for them, as their uh, two solid young linebackers to build around, along with Nick Bosa and Javon Kinlaw. They're hoping, and Eric Armstead and D. Ford. And then you say, like, oh, we got this great front seven. Uh, but Richard Sherman, they have no other cornerbacks really coming in to step in and nothing that they've, like, drafted or whatever. Uh, Akella Witherspoon, the third round in 2017, K1 Williams. They're just seeing what happens, but there's not a lot there. And then Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski Tart, you know, Jimmy Ward, their first-round pick in 2014, Tart, their second-round pick in 2015. These guys have been all over the map. They've moved around positions. They've been great. They've been fine. They've been bad. It seems like everything else. Uh, but Jimmy Ward, three games missed last year, seven games missed the year before that, nine games missed the year before that, five games missed before that. So we just talked about Quan Alexander. Jimmy Ward, I mean, how many games has he missed in the last four seasons combined? 64. He's missed 24 games in the last four seasons. Jaquiski Tart, four games missed last season, eight games missed the year before that, seven games missed before that. So that's 19 games missed in the last three years. So let's talk about that. Ward, injury history. Tart, injury history. Richard Sherman did have an injury that led to him being released by the Seattle Seahawks, a torn Achilles, and then he got picked up by the 49ers, and he's getting older. Quan Alexander, injury history. Uh, D. Ford missed five games last year with an injury. Obviously, there's just concerns here if i was uh a coach uh john lynch any of these people looking at that say okay the defense pretty good especially front seven and a solid veteran secondary what's the real long-term outlook though for that secondary is it ward tart sherman witherspoon williams can't be maybe it's you know tart and ward uh maybe it's k1 williams um but it's still so early. So um, that's going to be a consideration uh, for that. It's actually not that early for K1 Williams. You know, K1 Williams is uh, 29. So there's not much of a future here in the secondary. And they haven't uh, proven to, like, bring up any guys quite yet. And they haven't really been like, oh, you know, because they spent their first-round picks on Kinlaw and Ayuk, which makes sense because they traded to Forrest Buckner, and they got a real problem at wide receiver. So I think that the 49ers are perfectly set up to win 12 games in 2020, assuming that there's not one or two devastating. Obviously, if you have one devastating thing, that's enough. It's devastating. As long as there's not one or two major injuries that become devastating, I think 12 and 4, you know, something like that. But I think the real vulnerability here with a few players Jimmy Garoppolo, clearly quarterback, would be a huge, huge loss for them, as we saw in 2018. George Kittle would be a huge loss for them. I think Debo Samuel is a pretty big loss for them, and we'll see what the rest of the receivers do. Um, and I think that uh, Trent Williams would be a pretty huge loss for them. Any one of those guys. Defensively, I think they have a little bit more wiggle room. But Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman... These are very vulnerable places in there. I know you say, like, every team is vulnerable if you lose your best players, but I'm just saying we're, we're talking about a team that is probably going to be discussed more often than not as Super Bowl favorites. 
and as a potential dynasty because people will say Kinlaw is young, Bose is young. They got this guy Ford and Armstead under contract for a long time. Warner's young, Greenlaw's young, um, Ayuk is young, Samuel's young, Kittle's young, McGlinchey is young. You know, they got Mostert under contract now. They got Garoppolo under contract. They got Richburg under contract. You know, I get it. I don't have any faith in calling the 49ers um, a contender in 2022, for example. I don't have any faith in that. I would not feel comfortable saying that the 49ers for sure are going to be contending in 2022. They've got a lot to figure out. Next year, they're supposedly going to have something like uh, $44 million in cap space put over the cap.com, but they're projecting a $215 million salary cap. We know that the NFL is probably going to reduce their salary cap next year because of the coronavirus. So I would say they even have less than that. But let's say there's even some sort of exceptions made. They don't have they they still don't they have forty four million dollars forty five million dollars let's say how many of these guys can they bring back and how many do they want to bring back Trent Williams Richard Sherman Solomon Thomas Jaquiski Tart Kyle Juszczyk Tevin Coleman okay Kwan Williams Tom Compton that's eight players I've named so far and I believe all of them are starters. Um, Akello Witherspoon. Okay, that's nine. Uh, and George Kittle, that's 10. Trent Taylor, what if he's a starter? You know, it could be their top, so that's 11. DJ Jones, this is 11 players. You could talk about half their starting offense and defense, maybe, in some respects, is a free agent next year. Can you do that with $45 billion? Um, more room coming, you know, I guess if Jimmy Garoppolo fails, they would save $24 million, but is that an ideal outcome for the 49ers to see Jimmy Garoppolo fail? $13 million in savings if they release D. Ford, $6 million if they release Quan Alexander, $5 million if they release Lakin Tomlinson, $3.7 million if they release kicker Robbie Gold, $3 million if they release Mostert. So then you're talking about they got plenty of room. But, man, that's not the ideal situation for John Lynch to be talking about releasing, you know, someone like D. Ford or Jimmy Garoppolo. That means that it didn't work. So that's my real evaluation, I guess, on the San Francisco 49ers right now. Perfectly acceptable and understandable pick to win the NFC. However, um, I think they're a little bit more vulnerable than people really give them – blame for and i also don't think that their outlook beyond this season is necessarily any brighter than that of the la rams so uh there could be i think a fairly plenty good argument to be made that the the rams even as much as people are down on the idea and the fact that they you know have traded two first round picks for jalen ramsey um and have contract situations that they're still unwinding and not as much cap room as fans would like. Uh, I also, now I'm thinking, you know, will the 49ers come to regret not trading two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey or Jamal Adams, two secondary players that they're going to be facing potentially for the next decade. And they don't have a guy like that. Not even close. They don't have a single secondary guy like that. They have Nick Bosa. They have a guy like that. They don't have uh, a real secondary guy like that. So 
is that going to be as valuable to them as Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk in a perfect world to them? Yes. Um, but uh, maybe, potentially, long-term, no. I mean, we don't know if those players will be any good. So that's it, I think, for Pod TST. A look at the San Francisco 49ers. I hope uh, you feel a little bit more uh, enlightened, I guess, on the San Francisco. I know that I do, just having you know read these things. But, um, yeah, that's it for Pod TST. There is nothing for me to plug. <laughs>